All right. Uh, look forward to diving into this uh, series. We're kind of kicking around about fear. Uh, we titled it Trapped because a lot of times, those of you who, especially those of you who struggle with anxiety or fear, uh, will know that when you step in to really accomplish something, to do what God's called you to, to kind of take on those dreams, uh, when fear sets in, man, it can make us feel powerless, uh, weak, small, stuck. Uh, and I find and I hear in my own life, and I, I've watched uh, others that go out ahead of me, I have people that I respect and I've learned from, that'll say over and over, man, we're in a new year, new hopes, new dreams. If you're going to live them out well, uh, you've got to wrestle with fear and you've got to conquer fear, else it's going to probably aren't going to accomplish the things that God's called on your heart. Uh, I heard a, heard a pastor say this, uh, something I was listening to this past week actually, um, talks about, you know, you go to Africa and some of the diamond mines and you go to places of the world where there's gold buried deep in the ground and you talk about those places where there's so much value uh, in the ground and he, he stood up and he says, you know, I think one of the places where there's the most value in the ground are c- cemeteries. We have one right out here. Oftentimes, people will go to their grave with all these unlived dreams and expectations, and it's fear uh, that'll hold us back from uh, tapping into many, much of that. So, uh, j- jump into that in just a minute. Before we do that, I want to mention we're on page 19 of our known journal. Uh, I just want to pause a minute as we're beginning of the new year. It's a great time to just kind of refresh and kind of hit the reset button for us in our scripture reading. Uh, Bethany is a church. We are passionate, uh, passionately believe the scriptures teach that God is for you. Uh, God knows you, and he wants to be known uh, by you. Uh, so uh, Pastor Chris talked about that a few weeks ago again. We hit that each, each year, kind of beginning of the year we hit about that. Uh, so we believe that so much that we believe God gave us the scriptures, not just have a checkoff list of reading how we, you know, hey, I did my Bob reading today, but to really step in and to know and be known. So we put together a reading plan to help you uh, journey in the scriptures, um, it runs right along. So right now we're reading a lot of verses about fear. It runs right along with our morning messages. So again, if you're not in the scriptures regularly, uh, I'd say jump in and try this one. Try this reading plan, see if it works for you. And we do have it in a journal format. It's in a non-journal format. You just get it and look at the verses, read them on your own. Uh, or uh, jump into a journal format, and both of those are out uh, there in the uh, foyer. Feel free to grab one this morning. But if you do have one, uh, you also know there's places there to take notes on our messages. So that's page 19. Uh, we'll give you that opportunity. So that said, let's talk about this reality of uh, fear, being trapped. Uh, thought what I'd do this morning is I was thinking through this week as I was preparing my message, I was thinking through all the things that I've been afraid of over the years. And I thought, you know, kind of maybe let's just, I'll talk vulnerably about one where I was probably afraid, probably more afraid than, been a lot in my life. So I just kind of dug into one. I'm going to talk about it. It happened in 2002. I was approaching the end of my schooling for pastoral ministry, six years of school kind of coming to an end, uh, and really ready to jump in to be a pastor. Now, I didn't want to be a lead pastor out of the gates. I had no, no desire to do that, really felt that I needed to step in as an associate pastor or youth pastor, or, uh, really kind of learn and grow before I step into a lead role. And so I began looking at those roles. Now, the thing that you need to know about the story, and this, this will help you understand some of the story, is uh, if you're not familiar with, the ch- familiar with the church world, the church world operates a little different than the business world and how it hires. The biggest difference in how it hires is in the business world, you know, you may engage and have your first interview, your second interview, and be hired within a month. Uh, so Sometimes faster. In the church world, a month, man, that's like, that's like lightning speed. In the church world, uh, it'll be four, five, six months for most associate roles. Uh, some of them will go up to 12 months. I mean, my role here to get hired at Bethany, put in perspective, was about 16, 18 months from the time I first give my resume. I mean, I'm a little shorter than that, roughly. 
roughly, till I'm officially hired. So in, as I'm approaching graduation, I'm like, man, I want to get a job. I'd like to be employed sometime over the summer. So I began in the spring, uh, beginning sending resumes out. Well, there's a church outside, really wanted to be more in a metropolitan area, more of a city area. Uh, so there's a church about half an hour outside of the Baltimore region, kind of in a suburb of Baltimore area, that, that had um, taken interest to kind of... They sit in and said, hey, would you come down and let's interview? So one interview turned into two interviews. I met the elders, the leaders of the church. I got down and meet the church, a Q&A, kind of that grilled and drilled kind of thing where they want to know, man, they want to know it all, and you kind of share it all, and you kind of feel naked till the process is done. We're all the way now to about the end of the summer and of 2002, and I'm like, hey, uh, Tanya and I are both praying about it, my wife, and we're like, let's do this. I mean, let's, let's jump in and let's do this. They offered the job. We accepted the job. I had begun the process of I quit. Quit my, I had a part-time job that I was working through uh, college. I'd, I'd quit that job. I had a um, landscape, small landscape business that I was using. Landscaping is great for college students because you can kind of work that over the summer and do your classes over the, the fall, uh, springtime. So again, I kind of had begun, I had this landscape business kind of grown, so I kind of liquidated that and began the jobs that I still had to do. I was sold off to a friend and kind of got rid of some assets and things like that and kind of patching all that up. Tanya was working full-time at uh, Lancaster General Hospital here in the area. And she, uh, she was carrying our health insurance because I had a part-time job and then self-employed. So she's carrying our health insurance. And the other uh, real important detail is she was about five at this point, but this time we're about five, six, five months pregnant at the time with our firstborn son. So there's all this excitement, all this energy. We begin to, we're heading down to this area in Maryland and looking for a house, looking for a place to stay, talking through details, kind of sewing it all up, getting ready to go, getting ready to pack boxes up, take things off the wall, uh, et cetera. Uh, so uh, stepping in one afternoon with a guy on the phone, and, and it, one of the things that, that has changed a lot in healthcare over the, over the last, health insurance, I should say, over the last you know, 10, 15 years, uh, has been the pre-existing condition reality. So back in 2002, one of the realities was that if you, know, you have a pre-existing condition and you quit one health insurance and move into a second company, a lot of times those pre-existing conditions, uh, they had the right to not pick them up. Uh, so I was concerned about moving from our health insurance into their health insurance, and Tanya's, you know, pregnant, so that's kind of a, that's kind of a pre-existing condition. Uh, so I'm, I make a phone call down, and I'm like, how do you guys handle this? How do you, you know, what goes on? The guy I was talking with said, hey, Adam, listen, just trust us. We'll take care of this. We'll just trust us. Okay, I trust you. Listen, we, I've quit my job. I've sold things off. We're coming. We're down, we've been down looking for homes, apartments, places to stay. I trust you. Um, could I talk to the insurance agent, though? Uh, yeah, Adam, just trust us. I know. I trust you. Could I talk with the insurance agent? That would really mean a lot to me. Well, okay, let me see what I can do. The next day, in the evening, Tanya's at work. Uh, she had worked second shift at the hospital. Um, I'm at home, and again, I'm kind of wrapping things up and beginning to pack in boxes, and phone rings. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience when you pick the phone up, and right away, you know, you can usually tell when, how, this, how the conversation is going to go. Uh, it's someone from the church, and you kind of know there's some nervous energy. We zip through small talk in a hurry, and I'm like, oh, man, something isn't good. He says in the line, he says, Adam, hey, this is Colin. We just had an elder board meeting tonight, and I want to let you know we're rescinding the offer. Now, I, um, you know, I'm not the sharpest tack on the, uh, on the board, and I said, well, rescinding, like as in, as in rescind, as in take back, as in the, even if I want the job, it's like not available to me. No, we're, we're taking, it's, it's not available to you. 
Now, I don't know uh, if you've ever been in a situation like that. All your hopes and dreams, you're packing. You're, and I'm, I think, I'm thinking of my pregnant wife who also has a back. So her back was uh, really struggling with her back because of her pregnancy and the work that she was doing at the hospital. And uh, man, things are closing in on me. You talk about the word trapped. I'm feeling like, oh, my goodness. Um, so all I, I just mustered out was just a, like a why. What, can, you, can you explain it? Well, Adam, we really... Um, we really want someone who fits our staff culture. And what's really important to us is that our staff trust us. I'm like, trust you? Listen, I mean, I don't know you. I've, I've, I've quit a job. I'm, I'm, we're moving there. I mean, I, what, do I, what do I not trust? And they said, well, the fact that you wanted to talk to the insurance agent just really said to us, you don't trust us. So click, the phone hangs up. Um, he says, we wish God's best for you, which uh, I don't know. I didn't really want to say the back, same back to him. I'll be honest. I'll be, it was pretty raw. Uh, but I step into that moment, and all I remember is just this wave of terror come over me. I'm thinking, how do I pay the bills? My wife is pregnant. She can barely work because of her back. She carries our health insurance. I've been done sending resumes out because I'm confident this is it, and I've, I've got to get my resume back up in gear and start. And I'm thinking, that's six months till I get, at best, till I get it. Man, my, it, everything just crashes in. Have you ever been there? That's my story. I could tell a bunch of others. That's just one of them. Um, maybe it's just, maybe that's not a big dramatic thing for you. Maybe you, it's just, man, you did the checkbook this past week or got online and checked your bank statement and man, the fear sets in. Or maybe you had a tough conversation with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or wife and you, man, I don't know if they're going to be with me or they're stepping out. I, uh, but when that fear sets in, uh, two things happen uh, in those moments. Um, we're kind of wired as a little psych 101 for you. Two things happen, and I'll show you in the scriptures how this happens in a minute. Two things happen in that moment. We're wired to either fight or flight. You guys ever heard this before? And this probably isn't new to many of you. We're wired either fight or flight. So in, in fight, man, if you're in fight mode, that's how you react to the fear. You're going to step up, and you're going to, the problem is out there. It's not in here. It's them. So I'm going to step in, and I'm going to sue them. I'm going to show them who's boss. They can't treat me this way. I'm going to stand up, and justice is going to be served, and I'm going to fight this thing out. Flight works the other way. Flight, instead of the problem being out there, the problem comes in here. And you, you start to shift into self-pity. Uh, you start to shift into, oh, my word, the problem is me. Um, you, you come back and you hide and you protect and you bunker up and you, you, you armor up and you make sure you, no one's going to hurt me like this again. And so they're kind of our, our two mechanisms. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> I want to say this right up front. That's normal. And God wired that in us. And here's why. Let me play a commercial for you. Go ahead and watch this commercial and you'll see why fight or flight is important. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. <laughs> Not playing that to endorse the beverage. Um, simply saying, that dude needs a fight or flight mechanism. God wired it in us for a reason. Um, it is healthy. It is very, very healthy for you to be afraid at times. That is normal. <laughs> That is good. 
So what we're talking about this morning, and we're really going to push into, isn't the healthy side of it. It's the side of it where it begins to consume, to take over, to push in, and brings us to an unhealthy place where it really begins to destroy life. Let me start with this verse, 1 Peter chapter 5. And this verse, I think, will get us going, and we'll look in the scriptures at another passage that runs very similar and parallel to this in a minute. So 1 Peter chapter 5, in context of this, what's been, been uh, Peter, the author, the very close disciple and friend of Jesus, what he's been writing up until this point in the early parts of chapter 5 is, hey, listen, he's talking to the elders, the leaders of the church. He's been saying, listen, I want you to shepherd, to take care of, to lead, to guide uh, God's people, the church, uh, the flock of God, is I think the, the specific reference. So he says, in the same way, so there's a bit of a transition here, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. So he's really pushing in now. So we're talking about the elders. So he says, now listen, those of you who are in a church, especially those of you who are younger, Look to the elders as your leaders, as your examples, and man, they're here to care for you, so, so lean into them. And now there's another further transition. It's going to take us further away from our conversation with the elders. And all of you, so we aren't just talking the younger, and we aren't just talking the elders anymore. And all of you, dress yourselves in what? What's it say? Dress yourselves in humility. As, specifically, as you relate to one another. So, so Peter is writing, he says, I want you to be humble people. Now, here's the reason why. For, or because, this word could also be because, uh, because or for, God opposes the proud. Now, most of us read it and think, man, I didn't come here this morning to be an, an oppositional uh, force with God. I mean, I want God to be, I hear he's for me. I want to be for him. Let's, let's work together. So if you want to do that, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I say, yeah, that's what I want. I want grace. I want life to go well. So God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So because he does this, so here's what I want you to do. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. So bring yourself into submission to who he is. Follow him. Step into him. Trust him. Uh, And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. So you may feel picked on. You may feel powerless. You may feel afraid. You may feel, don't lift yourself up in the right time. That's always tricky. In the right time, he will lift you up. Now, verse 7. Verse 7. Notice there's no transitional word between the end of verse 6 and the beginning of verse 7. Verse 7 is a verse that if you're familiar with the Bible, you have likely seen it on a coffee mug maybe <laughs> or in someone's Instagram feed uh, or maybe a Facebook, uh, maybe in someone's, I mean, you see, maybe you see it on a plaque or a poster or a wall hanging in someone's home. This is a really famous verse, but this verse pulled out of the rest kind of leaves it weak. Look at the heart of this verse. Remember, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up. Give all your what? There's our word. Worries, anxieties, fears, cares. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Don't miss the link here. God's talking. Peter's talking about being proud. He wants you to be humble. One of the fruits of that is learning to trust him, to step into him. A worry problem is often a trust in God problem, is really what it boils down to. An inability to really trust in his provisions, to trust in his promises. So you read the scriptures, you're going to run across promises. We're going to read one in Matthew 6 in a minute. He gives you a promise. When I don't trust him, I begin to worry. I want to take life into my own hands. I'm in control. I can fix it. I can do it. Well, that's pride. 
A lot of times we worry because we think we're in control. Most of us in our lives live with an illusion of control. Think, think of it this way. So it's right now. What time is it? It is 11.19 on Sunday morning. How many decisions have you already made today? You have made. Not your wife or your husband or your friend. You have made. Did you decide what time to get up this morning? Maybe, maybe not. How about what you're wearing right now? Who chose to put that on you? He said, well, my, my wife did. <laughs> and we're thankful for that. Glad she did that. Because <laughs> probably you wouldn't look very presentable if she didn't. All right? So, so what did you eat this morning? Why did you eat it? Think about the car that you got into this morning. Who purchased that car and why did you purchase it? Think about the, the route that you took to get to this place this morning. Why did you pick that road over making the left at that intersection? See, we live a life so often with this illusion of I am in control of my life. Matter of fact, the outcome of my life is a result of my good choices. Or, if it's going to go bad, my bad choices. And so we begin to live with this anxiety of life and this fear begins to set in because, man, we put so much ownership on our lives. And God steps in and says, no, trust me. You don't don't always control the outcome. Matter of fact... (laughs) I've learned in life we seldom control the outcome. Now, when you see a statement like this, people have said, I've heard this statement, maybe you've heard this, fear is the opposite of faith. Let me restate that for us. I don't think fear is the opposite of faith. I think it takes great faith to have fear. What's that mean? Well, I think fear is faith in the what ifs far more. I mean, what if this happens and what if that happens? Well, probably won't. Why do you think it's going to happen? Because I have faith that it's going to happen. That's really what it's really saying. It's fear in the what ifs more than the God has been faithful. More than the God has promised and God says that he is able. Or God says that he will do this. I have faith in that versus, man, all the things that could happen because I'm not going to have this pastoral job down in Maryland. So worry at its core When it gets out of control, now when I say worry, I'm not talking about planning or being concerned. It's okay to plan. The scriptures talk about that. And it's very good to be concerned. When you see a guy alongside the road with an ax, you don't pick him up. That's a good, healthy concern. Call someone else and call the cops, do whatever else. So worry at its core is really a form of pride. I am in control. I got this. And because I got this, we put this extra pressure on ourselves. Fear, what it really does is fear makes me, makes you seem weaker than we really are and more responsible, or you have put the word accountable in there as well, more responsible than I really am. So, for example, go back to my story coming out of um, going, trying to get to Maryland, this church outside of Baltimore. So I'm now afraid I'm now, and, and suddenly I seem weaker than I really am. I'm out of control. I don't know what I can do. I'm not going to, and, and we seem so tiny and insignificant, and, and the world just seems so big, and the problem's gigantic, or I seem more responsible. So it could start shifting into things like, oh my goodness, I've got to take more risk. I've got to learn to trust more. I've got to stop trying to cross all my T's and dot all my I's. And we, we think we can try and own it, because if I can own it, then I can fix it. And if I can fix it, then I can get the job. See how that works? Well, the reality is, what I take off the table is I can't control them, and what they did was poor. So all those other things might be true, and I might have some ownership that I need to take care of, 
but I can't control other people. Same with your, maybe you're a single parent and you're um, overwhelmed with, with parenting. It just seems daunting and huge and my kids are never going to make it. And well, what we're forgetting is God's a big God. He can be their mom or their dad. You know, I can't control myself most days, let alone my children. You know, we have this thought that our kids are a result of my parenting. Well, to some degree, that's true. But to a full degree, no, that's not true. But when our kids start to go off the rails, we can get all this anxiety that sets inside of us. And oh my goodness, because we're owning it or we feel out of control. That's what fear does to us. Take the, you know, the health industry. <clears throat> Man, I'm all for eating organic, get rid of the non-modified, genetically modified stuff. And sure, absolutely. But what I find, what it stands behind much of that is fear. Man, if I can control what goes into my body, then I can control the diseases that I might get. Now, absolutely eat wise, eat healthy, be smart, look at modern science and realize, yeah, we can't put high fructose corn syrup in our bodies and expect good results. But the reality is, what stands behind much of our push to that is to take control because I'm afraid of death. See how this works? So fear sets in, it makes us feel weaker than we really are and more responsible or accountable. So I got to fix this thing. No. If I'm going to get sick, I'm probably going to get sick. God's in control. I need to learn to trust him. So I guess the whole heart of this morning, if you hear me say nothing else, is trust God and know that he is in control. Now there's a passage. I want us to look at this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34, page 803, and the Bible's there in the seats in front of you. This runs very parallel to the thought of, of um, 1 Peter 5. Uh, and it's going to, I think, it's, it's Jesus preaching. It's, some of you are familiar with the scriptures. If not, it is to help kind of, us, kind of bring us all to the same place. Uh, maybe you're new to the Bible. This would be called what's called, the, maybe referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' most famous sermon. It starts in Matthew 5, and it works all the way through here. Uh, so we're going to kind of pick Jesus up in the middle of a talk, if you will, in the middle of a sermon, in the middle of a message that he's giving to some people that are gathered there on a hillside listening to him. So he says this, verse 19. Comes right out of the gates and sets his kind of big idea. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. So don't store those things up. He says, rather, what I'd rather you do, look at verse 20, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So see his, see his objective. He says, listen, guys, I want you to live for something that's going to last in eternity. I want you to be consumed with, to be drawn to something bigger than all the stuff in your life, more than your house and your cars and your, your devices and your clothes and all, all that stuff. I want you to see and chase after something that time cannot destroy. Now, this passage pushes in on and really challenges us with, you know, what do you love? What Jesus is really going after here is what do you live for? What's important to you? Where is your treasure? What's most valuable? What do you desire more than anything else? 
Now then verse 22 comes along, and 22 is an interesting thought. And, and, and when at first reading, when you read verse 19 straight through, verse 22 and 23 don't quite seem to fit. So let me read them to you, and then I'll show you how I think they fit beautifully and really push into some deep places in our heart. He says, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. So what's he saying? What's he saying? I go, I'm a Verizon customer. And uh, Pastor Chris, you've heard us make jokes about this. He's an iPhone guy. I'm a Samsung guy. So the Samsung Note 8 just came out uh, this past fall to the tune of 900 and some odd dollars. So I head into Verizon, and I want to check this phone out. When I walk into Verizon, what do I need? What sense in my body, though we've got five senses, what sense am I using when I walk into that Verizon store? I walk over to the counter, I pick that phone up, and I start scrolling around, and after a while I think, man, I need this phone. This is a cool phone. I mean, this is a really nice phone. So after a while, what begins to happen? What do you do in these moments? Oh, man, $900. That's a lot of money. But you know what? It would help me do my job so much better. I would be a better pastor with this phone. I would stay in contact with people better. I could. And you go down the whole list, right? So what Jesus is really pushing on is with the stuff of this life, it takes our eyes to look. And greed, covetousness, lack of contentment is one of the hardest sins to name and see in our lives. Have you ever sat in a small group or a recovery group? I mean, you don't hear this a lot. When people going around talking about their deepest struggles, you'll hear, I struggle with lust, I struggle with porn, I struggle with drinking a substance that I shouldn't be drinking, I struggle with language, I, I struggle. How many people say, I'm one of the greediest guys you've ever met? We don't name it, do we? Why? Because, as Jesus says, we look at it, hmm, I really want that, and then we justify it. I would be a, man, I could pastor far better if I had that phone. And you go down to this, I could paint a million other stories and illustrations of that, but that's kind of how this thing unfolds. And Jesus is saying, listen, be so careful. Be so careful with the stuff that you're taking in your eyes, how quickly we jump to justifying the next reno, the next purchase of the car, the, the change of the job, the, 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 where we shop and buy our food. The, all, we, we start to, to, to justify this in a way that makes it seem holy and good and mask that our heart desires something more than it desires Jesus. Look at verse 24. Jesus is going to really hit to the core now. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you, look at this transition. That is why I tell you, he links it up. That is why I tell you, do not, here's our word again, do not what? Don't worry. You can't serve both, so don't worry. Don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or clothes to wear. What I've learned is often my level of fear often reflects on the closeness of my friendship with God. I can't serve two masters. 
When I begin to worry and have anxiety set in about everyday life stuff, it's often an indication it's something slipping in my relationship with God. The further I get from God, the more the what-ifs pile up and the more this thing spins out of control. What you fear or worry about in an obsessive way reveals what you value most or where you trust God the least. In 1 Peter 5, remember what he says? Cast your cares on me. Well, look at this. Here we have Matthew going to say the very same thing. Look at the, look at the rest of verse 25. Isn't life, middle of verse 25, isn't life more than food? Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for their heavenly father feeds them and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Now think about this. I remember I used to, I wasn't a hunter growing up. My, my, my grandfather was, and we'd go up to his cabin. I'd bring along my little pump action, lever action BB gun, and they had a bird feeder, and I'd sit there and shoot the birds out of the feeder. I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And finally, my grandmother comes out one day and sees me doing this, and man, I never did that again. I never even thought about doing it again, but she made it very clear that that animal is, a, is created by God, and we're to, if you're not killing that for food, you do not kill it. Okay, I won't do that again. I'm sorry. She taught me that day the birds are, birds are valuable. God takes care of the birds. Birds don't farm. Birds don't go put a store list together and go shopping at Giant. But birds, their cupboards are filled. Why? Because God takes care of them. And then he makes the argument, and guess what? You are far more valuable than a little bird. And he goes on and writes, look at verse 28. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. So you look at the flowers. They're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. They don't obsess. They didn't stand in the mirror this morning and think, hmm, should I wear this shirt, that shirt? I mean, how about this? No, they just, they're beautiful. And then he adds this illustration, Solomon, who, if you're not familiar with the Bible, he's, he is uh, one of the richest men in our scriptures. One of the, he's this king that had it all. He was incredibly wealthy, um, a very wise individual as well. And he says, man, even Solomon, who had it all, didn't look as good as the, the flowers of the field. Verse 30, and if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Let me pause right there. These things dominate the thoughts of an unbeliever. Let me show you another verse. 1 Peter 3 uh, says this. Remember we were in 1 Peter 5, early in the message? This is just two chapters earlier. He says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right. So up until this point, he's been writing. He's been saying, look to Jesus. Jesus was humble. Jesus didn't, when he was persecuted, he didn't open his mouth. He simply followed and honored God. In the same way, I want you to do that. I want you to do what's right. Honor God. Don't go out this thing and go, go out on a war path. So, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't, what's the word? Or be afraid. There's our words of their threats. Instead, now when you read the scriptures, pay attention to this. So here's a word, instead. So instead means what we just talked about, what we're going to share now is the opposite. So see that? Don't worry or be afraid. Instead, the opposite of that, 
You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Would Matthew say? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first him. You can't serve both God and money. So here it's not in the context of material things. Here it's in the context of being beat up, made fun of, and even killed. The context here is these guys are being hung on a cross. So he says, listen, don't be afraid. Instead, make Christ the number one thing on your heart and life. Chase after him. Now look at the next verse. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, always be ready to explain it. You know why this verse is here? Because this way of life is not normal. And that's what it says here. Look at, look at Matthew 6, verse 32. These things, these worries about everyday life, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. A person who's not a follower of Jesus. It's what dominates your mind. When your mind is dominated with peace and assurance in the midst of people making fun of you or in the midst of nothing, like you have nothing, you don't know, have two pennies to rub together, and you walk with this calm, you know what? I trust my God. People look at you and go, dude, what's up with it? What? What's up with that? We're different. It's very, very different. Now, verse 33 and 34 gives us the promise of all this. Seek the kingdom of God, verse 33, above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. There's the promise. So you say, Adam, clothes, they're kind of important. Yeah, they are. Food, that's kind of important. Yeah, it is. Shelter, kind of important. Yeah, it is. And God blesses us with them. But man, the promise here is seek first God's kingdom and then he'll give you these gifts. Verse 34, so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. <laughs> Today's troubles are enough for today. Don't, don't Get, man, Mark Twain, some of you have a box there in your, in your bulletin. Go ahead and pull that out. It's a folded down box. But Mark Twain said this. I'm an old man. <laughs> I'm an old man and I've known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. Some of you can relate to that, right? I've known so much trouble, but most of it's never happened. It's all been worry and anxiety. So what I, what I gave you in your bulletin there, if you pop it out, you'll see it's a little box. And we're going to call this thing a worry box, okay? You ever hear of worry boxes? Some of you, um, there's a certain cognitive behavioral form of therapy that uses something like this. It's called a worry box. Now, some of you go, Adam, I need a bigger box than that. That thing's far too little, <laughs> right? So you got this little box. It's called a worry box. Um, and what I'd encourage you to do, here's how a worry box works. And I gave that little toy to Mark Twain. So get little strips of paper. Um, and throughout your day, throughout your day, um, when a fear or anxiety sets in uh, or something happens, write on the paper what you're afraid of and what you think is going to happen. Write it down. Stick it in the box. Write it down. Stick it in the box. Write it down. Stick it in the box. And then at the end of the month, maybe some of you can go longer uh, if, if you're patient enough. Maybe it's even more effective if you can stretch it out longer. Go six months, maybe a year, open the box up. Pull out your paper and read it. And do you know what you're going to discover? What do you think you're going to find out? Most of the stuff that you put in the box never, ever happened. We span, I love verse 34. Listen. 
Today's got enough problems of its own. Why are you so obsessed about tomorrow? It's probably never going to happen anyway. And here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. Some of you go, well, no, Adam, it can happen. It can. One of the greatest methods to conquer fear is to have your worst fear realized. Let me say it again. One of the greatest methods to conquer your fear is to have your worst fear realized. I've heard this so many times from people that were so afraid of losing their spouse. And when they're sitting in the counselor's office listening to the spouse say, I'm out of here, they found freedom. They found I was living for their approval all my life. I'm going to live for Jesus' approval, not theirs. And they stared down the barrel of their spouse leaving, which is hard. It scares some of us to death. But you know what we find in the back end of it? Freedom. I've talked to many marriages that they actually, when they hit that moment, they actually save their marriage because their spouse is no longer their God. Jesus is. They're seeking first the kingdom of God, not that person's approval. Or maybe you're so afraid of some kind of illness and you get it. And yeah, it hurts. You may even die. But when you journey through it well and face it well, you often find the strings of of our hearts untangled and we find freedom. I don't need to live for this world. It sets us free. I've heard people say the number one fear, the number one fear I hear people say, you know what it is? Number one fear? Google it, right? Go home and Google it. Number one fear in America. Do you know what the number one fear is? Take a guess. There you go. (laughs) Public speaking is the number one fear we have in America. I've talked to many people. You know how they got over it? They went and did it. (laughs) Or they got thrust into it. And they come out the other end going, it wasn't too bad. I mean, they, they, they were nice to me. I mean, what do you know? So again, that's, that's the point of a worry box. We spend so much energy. Let me tell you how Maryland turned out. This is kind of cool, and then I'll, we'll wrap up. So um, I'm at that moment overwhelmed with fear and all the what ifs and what could happen and oh my goodness and, and what am I going to do? I'm, I'm, I need to provide for my family. Uh, we're about to have a child. I don't have a job. I mean, I'm t- and, and there was, I want to be very honest. This isn't a rosy fun. It was hard. It was really, really hard. There were a lot of tears, a lot of pain. It was a hard stretch on our marriage. It was, it was just hard. Uh, yet, what ends up happening, um, uh, one day I'm out um, and, and I run across uh, someone who is an old family friend, a friend of my dad's. And I begin talking with him and he, we're engaging and talking and I'm, he's, I just share a little bit of my story and he says to me, oh my goodness, Adam, I know of a church that you would be a perfect fit for. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. And by March, we were in that church. Now here's the cool thing. Here's the really cool thing. It's not a church when I was searching on, online and trying to find all where I wanted to put my resume, it would not be a place where I would have put my resume. I was looking for more of a suburban or a metropolitan region, and I wasn't looking to rural Pennsylvania. I ended up out in Mifflin County, Pennsylvania. Now, here's how so out of the, when my first interview there, okay, so I get into the interview, and there's this group of this, this team around that's interviewing me. The very first question I get asked, this is how out of the, just, it was not me, it was, do you own a gun? First question I got asked. 
And right then I'm like, I'm heading home. I don't know what this is about, but I'm out of here. Now, I said, no, should I? I mean, I don't know. Second question, the dude pulls something out of his pants that, in his pocket. It looks kind of like a retainer of something. I don't know what it was. And then he says, do you know what this is? And I'm like, I have no idea. He puts it in his mouth and starts doing something, and this awful sound is coming out. Do you guys know what it is? Turkey call. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know what that is. I mean, what are you, and he starts explaining how you call turkeys, and it's their mating sound. And I'm like, why do you have it in your pants pocket in the middle of January? I mean, what's up with this? So, again, it's, but the cool thing was it's where I needed to be. I would have never picked it, but it's where I needed to be. Spent four years there. Set the course of my life. I loved it. Pushed back on some things, had a, had a big learning curve, as you can imagine, uh, but I, it was where I needed to be. Now, the story could end there, and that, that's, oh, man, that's awesome. Go ahead and trust God. Well, it gets even cooler when this past summer, um, I'm meeting a guy who's kind of new to this general area, and I'm interacting with him. Uh, he's in ministry, and he's, I said, so where were you before you moved here? He says, well, I was a youth pastor. Oh, cool. Where were you a youth pastor at? Well, and he names the town, and I'm like, Really? Like, what church? So he tells me the church. I'm like, oh, it's the church. Turn me down. I'm like, no kidding. Tell me about that. So he tells me all about it, and and he came out with severe pain. And I'm just sitting there. I'm feeling for him. and And I said, man, can I tell you? I almost went there. And he stopped me and goes, and you can be so glad you didn't. It was a horrible culture. And I've got pain beyond pain that I can't put words to. I look back now to 2002 in that second story apartment in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, and I think about all the anxiety and fear that I had when they said no, we're rescinding the offer. Who was taking care of me? My dad. Didn't even know it. God, my father. Man, I cannot stress enough. Learn to trust God and know that he is in control. Let me end with this verse, and we'll go to prayer. Psalm 46, uh, verses 1 and 2. Um, so Pastor Chris was preaching uh, t- two, three weeks ago. Um, I got to come in and take the church in from a vantage point I don't normally get to. I walked through. Um, I came to second service only, came through the front doors of my family. I've never got to do that before in eight years. It was kind of cool and kind of got to sit down just as an average church attender and try to just kind of blend in. A little hard to do uh, when you're the lead pastor of a church. You know, so I got to kind of blend in and take them. Chris's message really spoke to, spoke to me, challenged me, refreshed me. Uh, I get home that week and jump into our known journal, the known reading plan. It's the same. I use that. I think this was the first reading that day and um, really stepping in. And this, this Psalm 46 is a very famous, if you're not familiar with the church, it has a verse that you might have heard before, a verse that says, be still and know that I'm God. It comes in this Psalm. So I open it up and I read, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help us in times of trouble. So we will not Fear. And then it goes on when basically a tsunami hits and the earthquakes rumble and, and all this, the, the mountains tr- fall down into the sea. And so we won't be, because he's our refuge and strength. So I'm journaling, I'm writing, I'm praying, I'm beginning to get, you know, working through some tough stuff in, in some certain areas and trying to peel back the layers of my heart. And I begin to cry and I go back through to read it again. God is our, what are the two words? Come back to where we started the message. 
God has wired you in moments of fear to fight and what? Look at these two words. God is our, say it. What is that? That's flight. What is a refuge? It's where you go for shelter, safety, to hide. I thought, oh my goodness, what's strength? Fight. It washed over me in a fresh way. This whole verse, this whole psalm just hit me afresh and anew. And I thought, oh my goodness, when I'm afraid, when I have fear, when I have an anxiety, it washes over. That mechanism that God's put in me is there to bring me to him. There it is. I can hide in him. He is enough for me. He is all that I need. Seek first the kingdom of God. When I, am, when I am afraid and I want to stand up and fight and I've been wronged and I've been mistreated and I'm going to let them know and run to him, he is enough. He is my strength. Always be ready to help. He's there to help in times of trouble so we will not fear. Trust God and know that he is in control. God, thank you so much for Jesus. We love you very much. Um, God, there are those in this room that may not love you and may be struggling with you, maybe at, at a distance from you. God, I pray that, God, as they engage with scriptures this morning, they're listening to your spirits here and alive and active, that you are drawing them to you. I trust you in that. And God, I, I pray that their eyes have been opened, their ears have been opened, and God, they would see and respond and step towards you in faith, knowing that they can't satisfy you. They need Jesus God, they need Jesus, faith in Jesus, acknowledgement they're a sinner, they're faith in Jesus. God, and for those of us in this room who would say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Jesus follower, I, but man, well, I'm so caught up with the cares and the concerns of life. God, would you set us free as we humble ourselves and bring our anxiety to you, our cares to you, knowing that you care for us. God, just realizing that I'm not in control, I'm not the author of my life, I can't fix stuff, I God, man, the more I try, the messier it gets. God, help us to trust you. When we have a desire to run and flee, would we run to you as our refuge? When we have a desire to stand up and fight, would we step into you as our strength? We love you so much. Thank you for Jesus. And may we seek his kingdom above all else. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.